And welcome to this week's edition of the Hammer Time Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Hammerman. We're on Playmaker Mentalities. We're on iTunes talking about sports, society, and stuff. And this week is our post-draft week, so we're going to be mainly focusing on football. And I have the football czar himself, the czar of the playbook, footballgameplan.com's Emery Hunt with us. Emery, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine, Ethan. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, well, you are always welcome. There is no one, well, I don't want to belittle other people, but there are not many other people who work harder than Emery. I remember when we were at the Senior Bowl two years ago, uh, you, me, and Scott Karasik were the only three people left, at least the ones who I saw. Everyone else had left early, but you'd go to all the games, you were grinding, you were just doing your thing, and you've really done some amazing work for yourself, and you've really built yourself up pretty much just based on uh, how perseverant you've been. Uh, You just go for it, and I really respect that. I think a lot of people see that too, so uh, definitely happy to give you any other reason to have you on. Well, listen, I I really appreciate those kind words. The, The check must have cleared, you know what I'm saying? So... You must have got the, the paycheck I sent. <laughs> Those fine words. But, now nah, I appreciate that. I just try to go out there and just do uh, good work and hopefully people embrace it and 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 uh, enjoy the unique content that's that's coming from someone that's, you know, not going to follow the crowd. Not saying to be a contrarian just for the sake of being a contrarian, but someone that just is speaking truly from their own perspective. Someone, and someone, by the way, who is more diligent in terms of analyzing prospects than pretty much anyone. Uh, There are so many amazing deep sleepers that you find every single year, and it's just stunning to first have you talk about them and then take a look and be like, man, this Emory guy is spot on the money once again. So one disclaimer before we start, we are going to be going through all the position groups uh, when we do evaluations and talk about some of the better landing spots, some of the worst landing spots, we're not going to be doing any grades of any teams in this podcast. I know that it's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say divisive topic, but it's definitely something that I don't find extremely valuable at this point. I think that it's a lot easier to look at each individual prospect in the vacuum rather than assign any random grades. And I think there are so many factors that we don't know about that it just, I don't feel comfortable two days out of the draft, especially as Emery said off air before all the UDFAs have signed yet uh, necessarily putting grades up. But that doesn't mean that we aren't going to get very in-depth talking about these various prospects and we're going to start at the quarterback position. So Jared Goff went number one overall. Carson Wentz went number two. We had Paxton Lynch go to the Broncos. We had Christian Hackenberg go to the Jets. Jacoby Brissett go to the Patriots. Many, many more. The Brissett thing, by the way, was interesting to me because apparently I didn't realize that he was sort of Bill Parcells' pet project. That apparently Parcells had decided that and told his people, quote-unquote, uh, that Brissett in, like, two years is going to be really good. Did you, did you hear about that after the draft? Because that was something that I would not heard about before. 
I hadn't heard about it at all, but I mean, you you have to like a guy going away, getting away from that Florida situation, and getting better the the last two seasons. You know, similar to what we saw Jeff Driscoll do when he left Florida and looked a lot better at Louisiana Tech. Yeah, I I was surprised Driscoll didn't go a little bit higher. I had a feeling that Kansas City was going to go along with a Driscoll, and the fact they took. They took Hogan, right, I believe? They took Kevin Hogan over him. That was a little bit surprising to me. But your number one quarterback in this class was Cardale Jones from Ohio State. What do you think about where he landed in Buffalo? I like the fit, but I hate the the I hate I like the fit, but I also hate the fit because it, it puts and I joke about this a lot. You know, if you have one black quarterback, you're gonna get them all. Um, you know, try to put them all in one spot. And so now you're competing with each other. So, because quite honestly, I didn't see a reason why E.J. Manuel got benched for Kyle Orton. Then, okay, they get Tyrod Taylor, who made the Pro Bowl last year, played extremely well. You want to see him continue to grow in that role. Now that he finally got that opportunity to be the starter, and then they go ahead and draft Cardell Jones, who I think, like you said, is the best quarterback in his draft class. And now you're putting a ton of pressure on uh, Tyrod Taylor, and that's basically saying we're not going to re-sign DJ Manuel. We're not probably going to re-sign Tyrod Taylor, and it's going to be Cardell Jones's show once Taylor's contract is up. And I, I think in Buffalo, obviously from a physical standpoint, seeing how the the weather can be affect you know affect the passing game, he has more than enough arm to be able to cut through that wind, to be able to make all the throws in sunshine, snow win or rain. So I, I do like the fit, but I just hate it for everybody else involved. You are preaching to the choir on EJ Manuel, and I have occasionally been called the patron saint of bad quarterbacks just because context is so important with all of these guys. But if you look at Manuel's career statistics, passer rating of 79, 19 touchdowns, 15 picks, 3,300 yards, it's not that bad. Like... Those are totally reasonable numbers for someone who was coming out of college and was considered to be pretty raw at the time. I really think that he deserved more of a chance than he got. And he's someone who, unlike the Blaine Gabbert of the world, probably will get a second chance for various reasons. And the funny thing is that he's one of like the top off-field guides you could possibly find, right? Like E.J. Manuel's pretty much a choir boy. Exactly. It's just a shame because when you look around the league, you're seeing people justify Ryan Fitzpatrick getting chance after chance. Bruce Gretkowski just got re-signed for whatever reason. Um, you know, and then you look at Blaine Gabbard and uh, Christian Ponder. Those guys got at least two to three full seasons of bad play before teams were like, okay, we got to move on. E.J. Manuel was playing better coming off that injury through maybe – a few too many incompletions and was benched. Uh, and then they went ahead and went to another direction. Tyrod Taylor comes in and goes goes complete completely off and plays well. Then it, then it's okay. Well, he doesn't throw over the middle of the field. Like that's something I've I just found out. Like it's, that's a new criticism. Um, and it just created this. He doesn't throw over the middle of the field, so we obviously can't win with him. Uh, even though they had their best record since what? Uh, two, 2000 or something like that with with Taylor at the helm. 
and uh, now they're going with Cordell Jones. And it's just unfortunate because if either one of those two guys are, are cut from Buffalo, they will probably never get another starting job again. I mean, look at the legs of Josh Freeman sort of having to go to the F- XFL to work his way back. Although, to be fair, Freeman had some other issues that were going on, so might not be the best example. But your point on Tyrod is perfect. Like, I was talking about this with Derek and Ben Natan and Chuck McDonald a couple of weeks ago. The reason why he doesn't throw much over the middle of the field is because his receivers aren't built to go over the middle of the field. I mean, there's Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods, and, like, Marquise Goodwin and whomever else. They're not big receivers. So, of course, he's not going to throw that much over the middle of the field. That's not where they win. And seems completely unfair to me that he's getting criticism over that. That just seems very stupid. Meanwhile, you look at you look down at Miami, and it's Ryan Tannehill. Oh, well, when, when he first got drafted, it was, oh, well, you know, they brought in his college head coach that's going to make the transition very easy. He's going to hit the ground running. He struggled. Then it's like, well, you know, we got to call these certain amount of plays for him. This type of offense, we're going to call different plays. They did that. Struggled. Well, you know, we, he doesn't have the weapons. They stockpile weapons. The roster is constantly changing. They've drafted tremendous talent on the flanks and in the backfield and along the offensive line. Struggle. Well, you know, he doesn't fit with the coach, the new offense coordinator, doesn't call the right plays. Bill Lazor, struggle. Now we have, we're on what, year five now? And people ignore the common denominator, which is Ryan Tannehill himself. He's just not that guy. And But, you know, E.J. Manuel throws a few incompletions in the game. And he's benched and banished, and not re- his fifth uh, year option is not getting renewed. So, so you see the same thing going on in New York with with Geno Smith and the Jets. But I don't I don't want, I don't want to you know hot him uh, derail the, the podcast. Oh, you know, we, I'll put it this way: we've talked about race with quarterbacks. I believe every week, no, three out of the past four weeks. So you're in good, you're in very very good company here. Um, Geno's interesting. I do feel like. He may not have fully grasped the maturity that it takes to be a quarterback, hearing some of the stories from there. I do think he deserves one more chance uh, because I I think that he could probably do really well with that receiving core. But uh, I just realized we're going to have to probably watch a quarterback battle of Geno Smith and Christian Hackenberg in the preseason this year. Which one? end up being won by Geno Smith because he was winning the battle between uh, him and Ryan Fitzpatrick until his jaw got broken. And this was the first time he would have had receivers that were worth the damn. And now you see what Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to do. The difference between Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith is that Geno Smith doesn't falter in pressure situations like we've seen uh, Fitzpatrick do time and time again. And we saw week 17 with the playoffs on the line fold. So it'll, it'll be interesting, but it'll be funny to see the, the media narrative and how they spin every incomplete pass, every complete pass by Geno Hackenberg. And I feel bad for Bryce Petty because he got drafted last year to fit this offense uh, by Chan Gailey and they go out and get a guy in Hackenberg. And that pretty much spells it in for Geno or Bryce if they don't bring back Fitzpatrick, which would be nonsense if they do. I I still can't believe that they picked Hackenberg in the second round. I mean, I can believe it, but I also can't believe it. 
Anyway, looking at the top two quarterbacks in this class, you had Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Goff, of course, went to the Rams and Wentz to the Eagles. I know that you weren't super high on Wentz. I think you were slightly higher on Goff, if I'm not mistaken. Who do you think is better positioned in their current situation to succeed? I think Goff is because he has the best running game. They have talent on the outside. I mean, despite the players that they've drafted this in this draft, when you look at the Rams, they have Tavon Austin. Kenny Brick came on uh, last year. They, they have Brian Quick. Um, you know, they have some good options at, at tight end. I like Harkin. I like Kendricks. Uh, so you include the fact that they've added guys like Pharaoh Cooper and Higby and Hemingway and uh, Mike Thomas. And, you know, they still have Trey Mason there as well. And they have some good – they have a good undrafted free agent back in Aaron Green, who I really like a lot. Um so he's definitely in the best situation to succeed because when you compare that Rams, uh, those skilled players of the Rams to what the Eagles have at their disposal, they just don't have the explosiveness to threaten you deep down the field to really force you to, to play zone uh, coverage. You can really play man and send an extra guy to blitz against the Eagles and be in good shape to really shut them down because they don't have any threats, so to speak. They have solid number two and number three options in Matthews, Aguilar, and Huff but no true number one. And they don't have that game break in the backfield uh, to really keep you honest defensively. So if if you're a guy like Sam Bradford and you're, trying to, and you're holding out right now, forcing their hand to start Carson Wentz, he's going to struggle mightily, uh, not just because of his own skill set, but because they don't really have the threats on the outside to, to help a young player out. That, that Sam Bradford episode is the stupidest thing in the entire world. Uh, the Eagles should trade him. To me, it's pretty foolproof. What? I, I think that teams could have wanted him before the draft if a reasonable offer was made. I heard that they were asking for, like, two second or third round picks for him, which is just stupid. It's just the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. Howie Roseman, I really don't think, is a good GM. Uh, and I was talking to a couple of people about it, and, I mean, this is a guy who pretty much just gets people fired. That's what he does. He got Joe Banner fired. He got Chip Kelly fired because he has Jeffrey Lurie's ear. And he's just, like, a little – he's really manipulative. And he – I feel bad for Eagles fans, but I just don't think that – he's going to have a good tenure in Philadelphia. And this draft class, by the way, and I, we're not ranking draft classes, uh, there are some pretty questionable picks in this group. I didn't love their draft class very much. Yeah, they, they didn't make it easy. When you trade all those all those picks to move up to number two to, to select a guy only to say he's going to need two years, then everyone should be fired. You know, because if you're trading this pick, you're trading it for a guy that you feel is open, come in right away, and help you out. And if that's not the case, then you gave you've given away draft capital, and now you have no playmakers. You draft Wendell Smallwood when there are other guys like Aaron Green who goes undrafted and ends up in Los Angeles. You have you know a, a one double A guy in Marshawn Copers that goes undrafted that ends up in New York. Paul Perkins was still on the board, I believe. So I, I just I don't I don't know. I, it's going to be tough for them to to put together big plays on offense where they don't have any threats. And it's just, I love their tight ends. I like their offensive line. And you're banking on Ryan Matthews being healthy 100% going 
for the full season, which is something we haven't seen him do uh, more often than not. So it's just going to be tough this year for Philadelphia. Yeah, it's just I, I don't – and that division is getting a lot better too. That division had a great draft overall. I mean, you had Zeke Elliott, you add Doxson, you add Sterling Shepard, you add – uh, the Giants just made a lot of really good picks. Uh, the Redskins, Scott McLuhan knows what he's doing. I think it's pretty much a given now. They got Josh Norman as well uh, right before the draft. And then uh, the Cowboys, I I just think that that offense is going to be terrifying as long as everyone can stay healthy. And I like the Dak pick too. I think that that's a case where someone is showing some faith in him, and I don't hate it at all. I think he could really thrive as a backup to Tony and maybe eventually taking over. That, that's a good fit for, for Dak Prescott. I mean, to see the guy that I thought in 2014 just wasn't as good of a quarterback make significant strides uh, this past season, it was impressive because he really just got a lot better. It was He was up there with Jacoby Brissett and how he improved and, and how he played the quarterback position. And to go to the senior bowl, be the MVP of the of the game, uh, outperform Carson Wentz all week long. So did uh, Cody Kessler. So did Jeff Driscoll. I thought. Uh, I thought Carson was, Wentz was the worst quarterback at the Senior Bowl. You know, and I mean, you could make a case that Brandon Allen played well there as you know also. So I think going to Dallas with his ability in to to run, get on the move, and things like that off play action. They landed a superstar in Ezekiel Elliott, you know, and he doesn't have to play right away. But even if he had to, he still has done enough on the field to show that he can protect the football. He can play within the scheme. He can play within the structure and also keep the offense on pace because he's going to probably see some time this year because Romo is under the same plan as Ryan Matthews at this point. You know, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So you're going to see Dak Prescott if he's able to take over that number two spot, which he should over a guy like Kellen Moore, who looked better last year when given the extended opportunity, which is why you don't see Matt Castle on the roster anymore. So Dallas has some good depth right now at quarterback. I think their future is bright. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a big fan of what they're doing. And, you know, you mentioned Paul Perkins and Copric earlier. Now they're both in the Giants together. Uh, that's going to be a fun little battle to watch because I think both backs are really good, and I know you agree with that. Uh, one more thing on the quarterbacks – Who's one sleeper or UDFA that you really liked where they landed? I think that it's a shame that it's three guys, actually. You look at, and all of them are of similar uh, stature and, and, and caliber. Uh, Dalen Williams out of Dartmouth, a guy that has a tryout with the Bengals, Steelers, and also the Bears. I think the Steelers would be an ideal spot for him because they have no one behind Ben Roethlisberger worth his soul. I think he can beat out Landry Jones and also Bruce Gretkowski. Now, will he get the opportunity? It's the biggest question. Chicago needs a backup. He can compete with David Fells and for that number two spot. Um, so I think that's a good fit for him. We'll see how that works out with these tryouts. Also, Vernon Adams and Trayvon Boykin. And lo and behold, where did they end up? Seattle. You know, So it just goes to prove the point that um, – once again, if you get one, you're gonna you're gonna get them all. You're gonna stockpile. I mean, Minnesota also signed uh, Marquise Williams too, so uh, proving the point once again. Uh, but I, I, it's a shame that Boykin 
if it wasn't for that, that loss toward the end of the season, uh, he, he probably ends up in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, so you're talking about a tremendous passer that got better every year at quarterback and goes undrafted. Vernon Adams goes to two separate universities, steps up a level, dominates at both, and goes undrafted. So I think both guys landed in ideal spots because they're going to be in Seattle and Pete Carroll gets it. It's just a shame that they won't get a chance to get on the field. And we've seen time and time again that I really think that the size excuse isn't a good excuse anymore. Because we've seen it with Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Tyrod Taylor. There are smaller quarterbacks who have succeeded, and you can make offenses based around those quarterbacks and give them the ability to play in the pros. And yet the likes of Vernon Adams and Trayvon Boykin going undrafted, and teams are drafting Jake Rudock and Nate Sudfeld. So uh, there's definitely some stuff that has to be done there. We're going to move on to the running back position. Who was your number one running back, and what do you think about their situation? It's Ezekiel Elliott. I think this guy is in the most ideal situation. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, over the weekend, and we were just thinking about who can we compare him to as far as situation is concerned. And the only guy we can come up with was Eric Dickerson as far as fitting into a situation and probably on the fast track to get 2,000 yards because he's a guy, when you look at DeMarco Murray's 1,800-yard season with Dallas, they were hard-earned 1,800 yards. And there were a lot of times where he could have ripped off longer runs, but he didn't have the breakaway speed or the wiggle. you know. And so now you add that with Ezekiel Elliott, and so those 20-yard runs could be 70-yard runs. You know, and uh, here's a guy that just gets better as the game goes on. He can catch, uh, he can block, and he doesn't take those direct shots that you saw DeMarco Murray take. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for him to get 2,000 yards next year and get, let's say, 16 to 1,700 this season behind that offensive line. Yeah, I think that Ziegel Elliott is really in just a great, great spot. But we've talked about Ezekiel Elliott quite a bit, so let's move on to a different running back, Derrick Henry. What do you think about his fit with the Titans? You know, and I've talked about this before, where you see Derrick Henry and you let's, I think we've seen two different Derrick Henrys. Um, when he was number 27, he was a sophomore, we saw a guy that was a little bit more explosive, had a little bit more burst, um, looked comfortable. And then this past season when he wore number two, we saw Nick Saban feed him the football. Something we hadn't seen Saban do is give one guy the entire bulk of the carries. Because when he was 27, uh, he was splitting carries with um, Yeldon. Yeah. yeah, and so he looked a lot fresh. So I think going to Tennessee, splitting carries with DeMarco Murray, I think is going to help both guys out. Murray is a guy that can get 18 to 20 carries. Henry is a guy that can get 10 to 12 and be just as effective. Now, how you mix those up is is up to the offensive coordinator. But I think both guys in a tandem, along with Marcus Mariota's ability to run, which keeps the backside defender at bay and helps uh, your offensive line get to that second level a little bit easier, I think their ground game is going to be outstanding because I think as a, as a, comp, as a complimentary back, Derrick Henry is in a better situation as a lead back. He t- 
tend to wear down and he wouldn't be as effective. So who are some of your other favorite prospects of this group, uh, and what do you think about their landing spots? I really like Alex Collins out of Arkansas, and I think him going to Seattle is going to be awesome. I like him better than C.J. Procise. I don't think Procise is the tailback that everyone is making him out to be uh, because he's still trying to figure it out. He was a receiver first, then moved to tailback, so – you don't have that natural ability, and that's something that popped up on film constantly. Now, if the lane is there, he can hit it. But as far as the creation part, which is what you need essentially to survive as a runner, he doesn't have it. Alice Collins, on the other hand, has that one cut downhill. He has that good, uh, I like to call it, um, within traffic type vision. So he's going to avoid contact and do a great job in, in finding the, the crease to, to, to break long runs. Now, He's a little stiff athletically, but he's a guy that once he gets ahead of steam, kind of like a Devontae Freeman, you know, it kind of runs too fast for his own good. Like he'll, he won't allow the play to develop before he's in the hole. Um, so developing a little bit of patience could be in store for, for Collins, but I like the fit in Seattle because they needed more threats in the backfield. Also on the, on the flanks, but I like what they've had in the backfield. Christian Michael seems to have figured it out last year. Um, you also look at Rawls. He's coming back, and I think having a, a theoretic-type piece in Procise helps them out in the passing game more so than it will in the running game, and that's where Collins can also come in and contribute. So I like that fit for, for him. And I also like Devontae Booker going out to Denver. Um, I'm a big fan of C.J. Anderson, but he hasn't proven to be 100%, to stay 100%. And so now you get a guy that I think is like Arian Foster, in that offensive attack, he should put up some outstanding numbers if he's going to be the starter. But I do like the fit for Devontae Booker going to, to Denver. Yeah, and I think another one that I really like is uh, Kenneth Dixon on the Ravens, just because that was such great value. You know, like, he's so talented, so good in tight spaces. Um, I just think he's going to be special on that team. He might be one of the better backs in this class. Is there one... Oh, and actually, I wanted to talk about one sleeper, and then you can maybe share a sleeper of your own, too. Um, Daniel Lasko on the Saints just feels so right to me, because he, in some ways, and I, he's not quite as uh, large as he is, but he reminds me a bit of Darren Sproles in the way that he's so dynamic and the way you can use him, so quick in the open field, can really just like jump around, and I think that that's going to be a huge steal for the Saints. I think he's going to have a really good year. See, I, 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 I can't trust Sean Payton enough to stick with the running game in order to to say a running back on the Saints is going to have success because – Oh, right. You're a Saints guy. I forgot. <laughs> you you, you uh, would think that with Mark Ingram, C.J. Spiller, uh, that's the only two backs you need, you know, but he would rather give carries to Tim Hightower when you have two explosive backs <laughs> You know, and then they bring in Kendall Hunter, and they would rather give the ball to Travaris Cadet. It's like, man, you know, why are you bypassing potential big plays on the ground to get three and a half yards of carry? So with Lasco, him coming in, it's a, he's a he's a tremendous player. He has the acceleration. He hit, he can catch the football uh, when he's healthy. He, he had a lot of injuries at Cal, but going to the Saints, if I'm a running back going to the Saints, I'm like, man, I. 
it's almost like I'd rather be an undrafted tailback going to the Saints because I'm going to get more respect than someone they drafted in the first round. So don't draft me if I'm a tailback going to the Saints. Just let me go undrafted, then I'll sign with New Orleans, and then I'll be the bell cow. Cal's had some really good running backs, drafted and undrafted recently. I mean, you think about uh, C.J. Anderson, Justin Forsett, Marshawn Lynch. Um, Bess was a good one before, uh, before he got hurt. I, I the, the one bad one I could think of for some reason, I don't know if you remember him, J.J. Arrington. Arrington, but he had some productive careers with the, the years with the, with the Cardinals, so... Maybe it wasn't that bad, but it, that's been a pretty underrated running back school. Good for uh, good for Cal. Good for Cal. You're good at producing running backs. Um, so is there one other sleeper that you just think could be a really good fit somewhere and maybe surprise people, sort of like a Charkandrick West did this year for the Chiefs? Absolutely. I look at the Redskins, who I thought up until the Nate Sudfeld pick had a great draft, right? So I'm willing to give them a mulligan for drafting Nate Sudfeld for no reason. Um, however, the undrafted free agent, Jonta Hebert, out of Prairie View, and um, I'm old enough to remember when Prairie View was on an 80, what, what it was, 88-game losing streak. Um, and so no one was coming out of Prairie View. It was the worst football program in the nation. Um, I think it was like a 10-year losing streak. And so uh, having – rebirth of the program as far as like a resurgence of the program they produced some quality years the last seven eight years and as a byproduct we've seen a lot of good pro prospects Jonathan Hebert is the is a guy that reminds me a lot of Leon Washington and what he brings to the table you can run him on that fly sweep you can run him directly out of the backfield he can have an impact day one as a kickoff and or a punt returner um, he can catch the football very well he can play in the slot he is an outstanding player, and he's going to go to a backfield where, you know, there's Matt Jones, Chris Thompson, and Mac Brown, and, and he drafted Keith Marshall, who I also like. So I think it could be a, he's going to impress a lot given the opportunity because he's so versatile and he's fast. Um, so I think when you look at maybe a Mac Brown or a Chris Thompson, those may be the two guys that, that are going to be on the outside looking in because I think Marshall is going to make the team, and Jonathan Aber with his play is going to warrant one of those spots. Jonta Abair, remember the name, because I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, Ember did his homework here, so that's a, definitely someone to keep an eye on. And you're right, Keith Marshall, that was such a great pick. Uh, if he hadn't been hurt, I think that he would have gone much higher in this draft. So, yeah, the another example of Scott McLuhan knows what the heck he's doing. He is a phenomenal GM. Tons of respect for McLuhan. We're going to go to the wide receivers and the tight ends. And I know that you sort of separated these ones out by discipline. So I guess just maybe a couple of your favorites. Um, What did you think of where they ended up? The the best one, you know, you see I got loud. I got really excited right there. But the best one for me, I think Tyler Boyd going to Cincinnati is phenomenal. I think that's going to be an outstanding fit. He's going to be a superstar uh, you know, paired up with A.J. Green. I think when people look at uh, wide receivers nowadays, they tend, they always forget the person throwing them the football. Um, and the fact that Pitt had nondescript players at quarterback, Savage, who I don't think he's still in the league, um, or he still may be with Houston, I doubt it, though. But, yeah, Savage throwing him the football, 
And the guy this year, Wojtek, was throwing him the football. Um, and Boyd still broke a ton of records. And we're talking about a school that has an illustrious history with at, at that position with Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, Brown uh, was a good receiver there. Um, I want to say it was Antonio Brown. Uh, played with the Cowboys for, for a minute. So he goes there and breaks records. And people say, oh, he's not – the spider charts, people will say, oh, he's not athletically gifted or he's slow. If, you, if you're a receiver and you return punts, that's all I need to know about your footwork. You can create all the separation necessary on a football field. You don't have to be blazing fast. And defensive backs will tell you the hardest receivers to cover are slower receivers because their routes are so precise. You combine precise route running with a guy that has good footwork because he returns punts. You just don't put anybody back there to return punts. And the fact that he has tremendous hands. Boyd is a complete wide receiver. I compare this game to, to Keenan Allen. And just like when Keenan Allen came out, people were knocking him. He's not fast. He's not athletic. He's uh, slender. He's not strong. He's not physical. And he went out there and had an outstanding rookie season. Boyd's going to do the same thing. He's going to draw a lot of coverage away from A.J. Green. That offense is going to be well-balanced now that you toss in those tight ends uh, as well. I, I think Boyd going to the Bengals as a Z is an outstanding fit. And I, I totally agree. Even though I wasn't the biggest Boyd fan coming out, I think he ended up in an amazing situation because he's going to be asked to run a lot of the routes that Marvin Jones ran, right? Right. You could, and, and with Boyd, you could put him situationally at X. You could put him inside as a slot. You could put him out on, outside the numbers. He can. He's so versatile, he can do it all. Uh, so wherever they allow him to, to work, he's going to have success. Because he can make the contested catch. He can be physical at the catch point, something that we hadn't necessarily seen Marvin Jones do. And Marvin Jones was good in his own right, but he's not Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, to me, is a, is a legit number one. I, I will say, though, the pit receiver you were referring to, you got the first name right. It was Antonio. Antonio Bryant. Bryant. There we go. I, because I compare him a bit to one of my UConn guys. I think Noel Thomas is a little bit of Antonio Bryant in his game. But that'll be for the 2017 draft. Um, and I like Bryant. I like uh, Thomas, too. He's oh, good. Thomas is good. I And you know what? Sheriffs look good in the spring, so they might actually – they have a quarterback. That team could surprise in the AAC because they have a really good defense, but they need a little more consistency. They have a left tackle now who – uh, Diaco said it's the best offensive lineman to ever be in the program. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm cautiously optimistic about my UConn Huskies. Um, so definitely a fan of Tyler Boyd. Were there any of your top receivers who you were a little bit disappointed of where they ended up? Well, not necessarily disappointed. Um, the fact that he went undrafted was, 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 was unfortunate because I think he's going to be an outstanding player. And that's Braylon Addison. Mm. Oregon. However, you couldn't ask for a better spot to go to, um, and that's Denver. I think he has a great chance to be the third wide receiver. I, I mean, I think he really can push it with uh, push Bentley, uh Fowler and Jordan Norwood for that spot. I think he's instantly that number three guy. Health was his biggest issue at Oregon, but I think two years removed from that injury, we're going to start to see the, the Addison we saw in 2013. And he's a guy that's a, a Swiss Army knife as well. You can utilize him in the backfield situationally, in the slot, outside. He's 
He has the explosiveness. He has that burst. And he's tough after the catch, too. So I think when you look at him going to Denver, adding yet another weapon for Mark Sanchez or Paxton Lynch, it's just going to be an awesome fit for him. Lynch especially, because one of the throws that I thought Lynch did really well was the rollout to his right. And Addison and Oregon in general run a lot of those uh, routes where you really need to sort of stay with the quarterback, um, stem your route. And I think that he could definitely form a rapport with him that maybe once Paxton starts, which I think is going to be sooner rather than later, could elevate both of them and get, give him a shot as sort of one of his trusted targets. Now, he, uh, I mean, they have a great receivers coach out there in uh, Ty Tober. So I, I, I know Ty Tober personally. He was, he was my receivers coach in college. I mean, this is a guy that has a track record of success. After he coached uh, Fred Stamps at Louisiana Lafayette, who's still playing in, for the Calgary. Um, oh, wait, well, I thought he was in Calgary for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, he, well, he was in Edmonton. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And then you got, what, Donovan Morgan, who's still playing currently with the Los Angeles Kiss. He goes to, uh, to Florida. He coaches Ben Troop. He leaves there, goes to uh, Arizona. Anquan Bolden's rookie year was – Tight over. Um, then he goes out to Denver, and you, you know the, the track record of success there. So he's a great receivers coach, and he's going to get the most out of a guy like Addison. I know why I got Fred Stamps and the Calgary Stamps confused. It's because they're called the Stamps, <laughs> of course. And I, I know my CFL, but that's why I got them confused. Um, any, anyway, one team that took a lot of wide receivers this year was the Cleveland Browns. Uh, they took... Corey Coleman, they took Richard Higgins, they took Ricardo Lewis from Auburn, they took Jordan Payton, and they also took um, Seth DeValve, who's a tight end, but I know that must have excited you because I think you were pretty high on him, right? <laughs> yeah, I gave him a third-round grade. Um, I compared this game <laughs> to uh, Travis Kelsey, and, you know, just watching him after the catch, I was like, he's also like the FCS version of Rob Gronkowski. Um, health was his only issue at, at Preston, and he dealt with a lot of injuries. So if he's healthy at 100%, he's at that, that Y option, you know, that flex tight end that they still really need. They already have a really good H-back in EJ Bibbs. Um, so I like what Cleveland has done. The wild card in this situation, uh, or you got Corey Coleman, uh, Peyton, and, and Higgins. I like Ronald Hall. I think he's a very underrated receiver. And they have Andrew Hawkins and, and Taylor Gabriel. I think Hartline would be the odd man out, maybe Marlon Moore as well. And the funny part is, you know, people looking at this quarterback situation, and here's just my my uh, evaluation on this on that whole situation. I think McCown, Austin Davis, Connor Shaw are all going to be gone. Um, so it's going to be Robert Griffin III, Cody Kessler, and I think Terrell Pryor, because he switched his number back to 11, will be that emergency third quarterback also listed as a receiver to where they don't have to utilize a roster spot for a quarterback, you know. And if they decide to put Pryor at quarterback, that means he can they can also put the starter back in the game. So I think you're going to see them keep Pryor as a quarterback receiver and free up a roster spot to keep another position, you know, another player at another position. 
Um, because why would you not? If you look at the history. Hugh Jackson has worked with Pryor in Oakland, briefly in Cincinnati, and now he has it with the Browns. First thing he does is switches his number from 87 to 11. That gives you a little bit of insight to what uh, the plan probably will be uh, for the Browns. And you know that Terrell Pryor and uh, Hugh Jackson have a lengthy history, so hopefully he gets that chance. That will be a perfect fit for him where he can do a little bit of everything. Now, his compatriot Braxton Miller and the Texans – his new team also added a lot of receiver talent this year. What did you think of the job that they did? Because I actually think that they really did give Brock Osweiler some help. Absolutely. I love what they did on, on the offensive side of ball, man. I mean, getting Nick Martin, number one, didn't Tyler Irvin, but looking at the receiving court, I think when they added Will Fuller, it pushed everyone down to a more natural spot. Cause Will Fuller, I think would be your quintessential flanker, your Z receiver, Braxton Miller, I think, is your ideal slot. Um, I think you can go either way with guys like Mumphrey, Strong on the inside as well. So they have four to five guys that you can say, okay, we feel confident. And I don't think Cecil Shorts will will end up making the roster, uh, but he's a good player. But I do think their receiving core got a lot stronger with those two additions. You know, Miller is going to be a, a very good slot receiver. And Fuller, I think, is going to do a lot of damage coming off play action. Um, I think a lot of people under uh, is the similar situation I saw with uh, Ty Montgomery last year when people say said that Montgomery couldn't catch, and I explained to people that you could tell that he can catch by how he drops the football. Uh, and with Fuller, Fuller's issue is just not extending extending out for the ball, so he'll let the ball get too close to his chest. So if you if the ball is getting there at the same time as the defender. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be dislodged. And his drops are not like Ted Ginn's drops. His drops when he's wide open or something like that or he's trying to run is because, again, he's letting the ball get too close into him and not extending out and securing it with his hands. And hand size does not matter, you know, but people will like to focus on that. Uh, so I, I don't – I'm okay with Will Fuller and his drops because I've seen him more often than not make big plays in tight situations. He made the game-winning touchdown – in that Temple game, I wish I was in attendance, and he was on lockdown all day by Tavon Young, but he came through on that last drive and made a tremendous catch that could have easily been dropped because of the distraction that was flying in front of his face. So he can catch the football, and that was just a great fit and two great selections by the Texans. And one thing I've noticed, and this is I definitely get more of it because I'm a Patriots person watch all their games, and something that their receivers coaches coach a lot, which – in some cases, I don't think totally benefits the receivers is to flash their hands really late so as to give the cornerback as little time as possible to react to the play happening in front of them. And I've seen that Fuller's one of the best in the class doing that too. And I think that that may contribute to some of the drops because it doesn't allow for that full extension in a lot of cases, but it also doesn't allow the cornerback to react to the play. So I think that that's maybe a reason why we're seeing the issues. I personally think Will Fuller is pretty good, and I think he ended up in a perfect place for him. Because he's not, he's going to see a lot of single coverage. He's not going to have a ton of pressure on him. And I think Jalen Strong also, uh, sort of the forgotten man here, but he could be a matchup problem now because I could see them trying to stick him on some safeties, trying to get him as a big slot, a la Jordan Matthews or Marcus Colson, run Tyler Irvin out of that backfield too. There's some opportunities for greatness there in Houston and 
Brock Osweiler is going to need to put it all together. But, yeah, I really liked what Houston did. I'm pretty happy with how that team is sort of coming together. Now, and, and just – yeah, sorry. sorry of how, how you build uh, depth with, with talented guys. Like you treat every selection as a potential starter. And he did a great job of that. Now, uh, just before we end this segment, we talked a lot about wide receivers and not a lot about tight ends. So who is maybe one or two tight ends that you really liked where they ended up in this draft? Well, I think when you look at Austin Hooper, I think he's in the perfect spot. Atlanta is tight end deprived. Um, getting a guy that can be a, a, a flex guy, like a Seth DeValve, your, your H-back. And you can make a case that Hooper is probably the best tight end in his draft class. So I think ending, ending up in Atlanta, um, taking some of the pressure off of Julio Jones, uh, you know, I think that's a, a great fit for for him. And they got a really good player. And I also like when you look at uh, Higby. Higby is a former wide receiver that grew into the tight end position. And going to St. Louis, where they, they can utilize him and keep three tight ends on the field. But it will, it looks like three tight ends, but you really got two tight ends and a, and a receiver when you have Higby out there, um, I think that's a great fit for him, too. So I, I like the fit for uh, Hooper and Higby. And Henry going to San Diego, he's going to be groomed to be the guy. It does give them two potent one-two punch at tight end with uh, the aging Antonio Gates. Yeah, Higby's a moron, but you know what? He got picked. It is what it is. Um, I, I agree with all of those. And I also really liked second – I believe it was the second-to-last pick of the draft, Bo Sandlin going to the Panthers. I think he ends up making that roster uh, because that's someone who definitely could uh, stretch that seam. You know, Greg Olson is not getting any younger. I think that he's a bit of a sleeper, and he definitely has a shot to make that team and make an impact this year. I really liked the last two picks of the draft where you had Bo Sandland and Kalen Reed to Tennessee. Those are two guys who are going to make their teams, in my opinion. So, Gotta love those nice end of the seventh round picks. This draft was deeper than I thought it was originally coming out. Anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah. that 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 uh, addition of uh, Sandlin to the charge. I mean, sorry, to the Panthers. I like uh, Scott Simonson as well too. So they have some options there um, at tight end. It's just about getting the receiving core right. You know, Benjamin's going to be back and Funch is going to grow. I kind of like. Uh, Corey Brown, I thought he played well in the Super Bowl. So his impact was sorely missed when he, he banged his head and was out. Um, and he got Kiaris Garrett uh, coming in as an undrafted free agent. So we'll see if this offense can, can make that jump, um, continue to grow in the right direction. They'll be dangerous once again. I'm a big fan of Kiaris, so I definitely concur with that. Uh, keeping it moving a little bit, we're going to talk about the offensive linemen, uh, tackles, guards, and centers. So, uh, just to start again, who are a couple of these guys who you really liked and think ended up in a perfect spot? Uh, I like the Jermaine Fetty pick. I think he's going to be outstanding uh, going to Seattle. I, I like that fit there. And when you look at Max Turk going to the Chargers, very underrated because he was my second-rated center in this draft class. I gave a first-round grade to him. I think he's going going to, to be an ideal fit. Uh, he can play – guard if need be, but I do think he's going to be an ideal fit as a center. And two guards, I really like uh, Christian Westerman going to the Bengals. I think he can start from day one. Tremendous athleticism. And undrafted free agent Landon Turner going to New Orleans. I think he's going to be a day one starter 
uh, at left guard. That's two outstanding fits. And the Jets got themselves an undrafted free agent, my number one rated center, and Kyle Friend out of Temple. I think his game was vastly underrated. And a couple of other guys who jumped out to me. Uh, one was Jason Spriggs going to Green Bay. I think that's a really good fit, and I'm a big fan of Spriggs. I think that he can sort of grow into his footwork there, and he may finally be the person to give A-Rod some stability in a year or two uh, at the left tackle position because David Bakhtiari, to me, wasn't really cutting it. And then the other one is an undrafted free agent, Matt Skura out of Duke. Really, really good center. I think that he was a little bit underrated, but I was talking to Lincoln Tomlinson about it last year at the Senior Bowl, and he was singing in praises. Um, and then when you watched him this year, everything was really well organized at Duke, and he was a big reason for that. So I think that the Ravens got a really good center in him, and I'm hoping that he ends up making that team somehow, because that will be a good situation for him for sure. And the Colts overall just did a great job drafting. I want to throw that in there, too, like on the offensive line. I thought they did an outstanding job. Yeah, they got Ryan Kelly and Joe Haig, and I really like I like both of them a lot. Who are a couple of sleepers that you think – you already mentioned Landon Turner, but is there anyone else that you particularly liked when you watched this year that you you think that they may end up doing some big things? Laraven Clark. Um, I'm a big fan of his game. He graded out as a, a – late first, early second round prospect to me. And I think when you look at Clark and, and, and his skill set, playing on the left side, he's just so strong. And I think going to the Colts, um, giving them an option to play right tackle, maybe playing inside, sort of like Jermaine Effetti, um, I just think that's he, he's a player that a lot of people trashed. Um, but he, he really handled Emmanuel Agba in 2014. Uh, this year was more of an even battle, but still, nonetheless, uh, Clark is a, a really good player. And I also like Taylor Decker. Uh, I think that's a perfect fit going to Detroit. When you look at Detroit's offensive line um, from left to right tackle, they've drafted some really good prospects, and they have a really strong starting five. That's the thing with the Raven Clark. And then I, I went back to rewatch him after the Senior Bowl. Because I know you were at the Senior Bowl, and he didn't look very good at the Senior Bowl. Um, in those one-on-one battles, but I think it's important to remember that those one-on-one battles are totally um, against the offensive line. Like, they're not supposed to to win many of those battles. And Clark is a guy who I think, I thought the Patriots were going to take a look at him potentially later in the draft. They ended up going for Joe Thune instead. But I think Clark's a guy who, if you get him coached up, he has the potential to be a franchise left tackle for you. It's just going to take a lot of time and really, really good coaching. And to the Colts' credit, I don't think their offensive line was as bad as people thought it was last year. No, it wasn't. You know, it was just a, and that's the other part, too, because you look at a team like Miami, and, and you can say the same thing. It's a lot of times, I'm going to say half the, of the quarterback sacks are on the quarterback, you know. And so you can't, or on maybe, let's say half are on a quarterback, the other, let's say the other three quarters are on the offensive line, and the other last quarter is on uh, the running back, you know, or someone blowing a, a blocking assignment. So the Colts, you saw the difference in the offensive line when Hasselbeck got in there. He wasn't getting sacked like Luck was. And I think a lot of times people just don't want to factor in the quarterback being a, a reason why the sack numbers are high, you know? 
I'm very happy that they moved Jack Mehort to guard. I think that was a good decision. I did not like Mehort at tackle, but I think as a guard, uh, that's really where he can thrive. And you're right. I mean, Andrew Luck ran into sacks a couple of times last year. Uh, it creates a lot of his own pressure. And I don't think – I think people are a little bit scared to criticize Andrew Luck for whatever reason, uh, even though I believe that he and Hasselbeck either won the same amount of games for the Colts last year or Hasselbeck won one more. I don't remember entirely for sure. But uh, either way, it was very, very close there. Uh, we're going to shift over to the edge and defensive line positions. So I guess defensive ends, defensive tackles, um, keeping it nice and concise – who were a couple of players who jumped out to you that landed in good places? Right off the bat, Joey Bosa, because his ability up front frees up so much opportunity at the second level. Now you have the ability to rush with your three-man front, and you got guys that have to worry about Bosa to where now those guys on the outside are going to have more one-on-one opportunities. It's going to be an outstanding defensive front seven, in my opinion, for uh, San Diego. I think that was a great fit. I'm a big fan of Shaq Lawson going to Buffalo. I think his ability to, cont- to consistently turn the corner is impressive. And I like the underrated uh, pick, the late, later pick, fourth round pick of Andrew Billings and, and how he can collapse the pocket along with Kenny Clark out of uh, Green Bay. So I think Billings going to the Bengals and Clark going to the Packers, along with Spence going to the Bucks, obviously, are great fits. I really liked Sheldon Day going to the Jaguars. and We could talk about the Jaguars draft for a long time, but Sheldon Day is someone who I think got a little bit underrated because he was sort of a tweener. And now you go to a team where you can have him and Malik Jackson uh, rotating. That's going to be terrifying for opposing offensive lines. I, uh, that team is in very, very good shape. And then, I think, yeah. I was about to say, I think a lot of people also underrated the – the athleticism of Day, you know, yeah. in that Temple game, you saw him drop back in coverage multiple times and affect the play, you know. So I think that that speaks to how talented he is. He's a tremendous player. Absolutely tremendous. And I think another perfect fit, Jaron Reed to the Seahawks, right after they lose Meebane. That is going to be, to me, that, that was just a perfect fit because I think that Reed can fill in that role very well and maintain – uh, his position around the same level that Meebane did. So I think that that is going to be something beautiful in Seattle. I really do think that that was a nice little stroke of luck. Uh, moving on to the linebackers, uh, we're just sort of quickly running through here. Um, a couple of your favorites here. I know that you love Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, right? Right, right, right. I love the, I love both fits and where they where they ended up. Just hope they end up being healthy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, Jatavis Brown also, uh, he is, he was really underrated in the process, but he destroyed the Shrine game, right? He he was not there for the Shrine game. That's the thing. He was in the, I think he was in the NFLPA game. Oh, wow. I thought he, I thought he destroyed the Shrine game. Oh. No, he was in the NFLPA game. Oh, wow. I Well, he definitely destroyed one of them because I remember that there was a lot of really positive buzz. And then when I watched, I was like, holy cow, this guy's really good. Um, so he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. And uh, one player who I think is a little bit um, 
interesting to me who didn't get drafted, and this is just my little soliloquy. I will say the NFL did the right thing and not drafting Scooby right until the seventh round because that guy is not good. He's not good at all. Didn't start to be drafted that high. Moving down to the cornerbacks, the safeties, there was one pick in this draft that, in my mind, had a touch of your dude, T-Swizzle, Ike Taylor, in him being selected. That pick was Xavier Howard going to Miami. Because I think that they both have a lot of similar skills where Xavier Howard runs in the four threes and he's big and compressed where he's pretty much just going to be told to press and run away. Uh, and I definitely think that he's someone who could step up. Did you like what the Giants did picking Apple and Hargreaves going to the Bucks? I, I, I didn't like the reasoning for the Giants picking Apple because he's taller and bigger when you passed up a better player in either Mackenzie Alexander and uh, Vernon Hargreaves. Uh, guys that, you know, Hargreaves with better ball skills, Mackenzie Alexander with better matchup capabilities, and not just because he's tall and big. Apple is a good player, but if I had a choice, I would have taken either one of those two guys before Apple. Um, it's funny you mentioned Ike Taylor. I think the one that, to me, compares favorably to Ike is the the guy the Cardinals drafted in, Brandon Williams, a, a former tailback mm-hmm. that is raw making the move to cornerback and, and gets drafted. And so you, you really gonna you really get a mold of a mold of clay and how you can mold him into a player. And I think Ike landed in the best spot for where he was as a prospect in Pittsburgh because he was a tough guy, physical guy because he played running back. And Brandon Williams is a speed guy, has that physicalness. Um, that you want, and I think he can do fine as a guy playing off and read and react the ball, go get the ball, and make a play. So I think him going to Arizona, being a former running back, now playing corner, is, is a good fit for him. You are the first person, by the way, on any of my podcasts who actually likes Mackenzie Alexander other than me. So thank you for showing some Mackenzie Alexander solidarity. This was definitely an interesting quarterback class. You know, you had... Uh, the small school guys getting some love. Uh, James Bradbury going in the second round was something that, while I didn't hate it, I didn't really expect it. But I think that overall, it was slightly better than people thought it was going to be. And as we move into talking about general thoughts, after we've talked about all these prospects, who do you think, in your minds? you would pick right now to be the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year? That's a great question. I think easily offensive rookie of the year is going to be uh, Ezekiel Elliott because I think just by far he's going to have the most touches, the most opportunity, the biggest impact. And I think how he plays, um, Joey Bosa is going to be the defensive player, the defensive rookie of the year because he's going to do exactly what he does well. He's a power rusher. He can collapse a pocket from within side. And I think you can do multiple things up front with him. Um, so I think he's going to have a, an instant impact from day one. I think his game started to get underrated as the process moved on. Uh, but the Chargers wasn't stupid. They took the best player. Uh, and he's going to, I think he's going to have a, a immediate impact. So I think Elliott and uh, Bosa will be the rookies of the year. Uh, Ohio State all the way. I think that those are two good choices for sure. I mean, I'm personally inclined to say that if Miles Jack is healthy, um, 
which I don't even know if he's ever even going to necessarily play this year. They might decide to redshirt him, but I, I think he's pretty much a cert. He's so good. Um, so he's someone who I think is just an elevator guy who I just really want to watch play. And another fit who I really liked, who we didn't mention before, I like Darren Lee to the Jets. Because behind that defensive line, I think that he can really – he's going to be everywhere. He's going to get to go sideline to sideline. He's going to get to, like, get into the backfield untouched. I think that he has a chance to be rookie of the year, too, because he has all that speed and craziness to his game. I think I think that that was a fun pick by the Jets. Yeah, that was an awesome pick by the Jets. That was a great pick. Um, the fact that he can play that inside backer position, he can blitz, he can cover. He always has the football in his hands, and that's exactly what you want to see for a defensive player. So I like that fit. I agree with you on that one. So just to wrap this all up, um, 2017 is now on the horizon. Well, not on the horizon. It's like way out in the distance, but we can pretend it's on the horizon. So I know that uh, I haven't really done too much watching of anyone yet, and I'm guessing that you're still in your beginning stages too. But what is, just like generally speaking, and I'm sure that we can hone in on more predictions as time goes on, what's one thing that you think is going to be different in this upcoming class than was in this past class? Uh, two things. I think when you look at the tailback position, I think you're going to see a, a, a bunch of premier type guys. We only had that one really first round talented player in this draft and Elliot. I think you're going to see maybe four, even five guys with first round type talent. And the contrary to what Harry Roseman sold Philadelphia fans, it's going to be a good quarterback class. Oh, it's out so next year. good. There's a lot of good quarterbacks from Watson to Kaya to, to Dobbs to uh, I like C.J. Beathard. I think he's going to be very good. Um, there's a bunch of good quarterbacks that are going to be available in this draft class. I think the Philadelphia Eagles fans are going to feel upset that they can't get one. No, please preach. I was looking at some of these quarterback classes and these quarterbacks coming out, like Deshaun Kaiser even. I think exactly. he's someone – who's really, really good. Um, I think Prukop, when he goes to Oregon, I think that that could be an interesting fit. And, you know, they have a track record of getting some guys' prospect love. I like Mason Rudolph a lot from Oklahoma State. I like uh, Baker Mayfield, Pat Mahomes. Those guys are interesting. Maybe some of the more developmental guys. Nick Mullins, Cooper Rush. Uh, Maybe even, like, an FCS guy. The guy who, I believe, beat Carson Wentz last year, Brady Gustafson, out in Montana. You know, yep. he was injured for a lot of last year, but he's got skills. And in Bob Stitt's offense, there could be some fun things happening there. Uh, and I will say, actually, his receiver, Jamal Jones, should have been drafted and wasn't. And I'm very upset that he wasn't because he was very good when I watched him this year. And he went to a great spot, too. I think he's out in San Diego, I believe. Mm. That, that is a really, really, really good spot for him. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Anyway, Emery, uh, we thank you so much for coming on. Are there any thoughts you want to leave us with? You can tell the people where they can find you, what sort of your next projects are, and uh, what they can expect from you in the future. I think when you look at what I got going on, people will be impressed. We got a lot of cool things happening. Follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Stay connected with FootballGamePlan.com, uh, the YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash FootballGamePlan. We've started doing an FCS-only show called the FCS Kickoff. So follow that on our website, 
footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff, where it's an hour-long show dedicated to the FCS. And right now we're starting to release the top FCS draft prospects for 2017 that you want to keep an eye on. So be on the lookout for that, too. And, you know, an FCS prospect went number two overall this year, so anything can happen, uh, as we have seen. Emery, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. This is this week's edition of the Hammer Time Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, stay tuned next week. This is the last draft episode for a while. We're going to be talking about some other stuff. Uh, it should be pretty good. But until then, I'll talk to you later.